Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. And I'll read verse 8 for us now as we prepare to hear from Hunter Rue as he helps us continue in our series titled Restored Community. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. When I was maybe 15 years old or so, our neighbors across the street, the O'Briens, would occasionally ask me to look after their son, Will, who was about three years younger than me, when they would have to go out for a corporate event or a dinner. And I don't want to call it babysitting. It seems a little strange to say you're babysitting an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old, but But I would go over to the O'Brien's house, and they would just give me the instructions, and sometimes I'd say they'd be back around a certain time, and sometimes they wouldn't, but the expectation is that I would be there in the house and make sure Will was okay. We lived in a safe area. They just wanted to make sure if something happened that someone was there to help him, which is totally understandable. One of the problems that I discovered, and I think the O'Brien's discovered as well, is that I was a fairly disciplined person and going to bed at a fairly reasonable hour every night. So there were a few occasions where Will would be up in his room, he'd be going to sleep, and I would be downstairs in the family room, and they had this very comfortable couch that was in the family room, and I would find myself lying down on it, and every once in a while just kind of dozing off. So that they would come home, they would return home, and they would find me sleeping on their couch instead of awake and aware and prepared for their return, making sure that their son was okay. And maybe that explains why after a while they didn't ask me to look after their son, Will, after a few instances of this. And he turned out okay. He went to Harvard and then MIT, so he's all right. But what this story reminds me of as I think about its spiritual application is that we are called to be awake and aware and prepared and not asleep spiritually, especially when we consider the return of Jesus Christ to this world to set all things right, to make all things new, and to restore his kingdom. So the question then is, how can we be best prepared for this great occasion which is coming in the future, the return of Christ? And we look to Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, for some help in understanding how to be prepared as we are in the midst of our Restored Community series. And just for the guys who heard me teach this about three weeks ago at the men's breakfast, please don't zone out yet. I think I've learned a few things over the last few weeks, and God's people need to be reminded more than instructed, so just stay tuned. But the idea that I want us to take from this passage, and that includes me, is that as members of the restored community of the church, we are commanded to love like Jesus and live for the return of Jesus. This passage can be broken down into two sections. One is, love fulfills the law, verses 8 through 10. And then secondly, live in light of Christ's return, verses 11 through 14. And as we have been working through this Restored Community series, we must recognize that Paul has been unpacking 
what a life looks like, a restored life, a life that has been redeemed through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ in a way that we live as living sacrifices for Jesus. So in other words, how does someone use their body as part of the larger body of Christ to ultimately point to the fact that we are redeemed and restored by Jesus? We are to live distinct lives that are very different, by the way, from what the culture would tell us to do and to be. A very different ethic is supposed to define who we are and how we live our lives than that which is put forth by our culture, which is saying it's okay to be self-centered, self-pleasing, self-reliant. But as those who have been redeemed and restored by Jesus Christ, friends, we are called and commanded to live very different lives, lives that are transformed through the power of the gospel of Jesus so that we might proclaim his truth in all that we do. Well, let's look a little bit at this first section of love fulfilling the law as we look at verses 8 through 10. We find that Paul starts out by writing, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, Paul is pulling from what he has just written in verse 7 where he's writing about obligations that we might have in life. And the point is, if you owe any obligation to anybody, pay it. Don't delay, pay it. Whether he mentions that could be taxes or revenue, respect or honor, we are to leave nothing unpaid but to pay. And then he turns his attention to one of the most important commodities that we owe and are required to pay, and that is the commodity of love. What's interesting is this word love, either agape as a noun or agapeo as a verb, shows up five times in this passage, which tells us it's a pretty important concept to God and it should be to us as well. What this verse and these verses are not saying is that if you have a mortgage or credit card balance that that's evil, that's okay. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that the importance to love one another is a debt that we never finish paying. We should always be dispensing this debt to love one another. And I am so glad that our Heavenly Father never finishes dispensing love towards you and me. Amen? That is the way that His love is unconditional, never stopping, never ceasing. And he calls us to live in the same way and not set limits on the love that we share. These verses look back to even earlier in chapter 12 where Paul writes in verse 9 that our love is to be genuine, that is not hypocritical. These verses also look forward to where Paul, and we're going to get into this next week, but uh, we are called not to judge one another. Uh, So these verses really give us an important understanding of how we are to love and how we are to apply that in our lives. Now, what might be interesting is to think about this language of love fulfilling the law. We probably need to get an understanding of what the law is, because some of you may be sitting here saying, is he talking about, is the Bible talking about uh, civil law, criminal law, what kind of law are we talking about here in the Scriptures? Well, let's have a mini Old Testament lesson for just a moment. When Paul writes that love fulfills the law, by the law, he means the precepts and commands of the Mosaic Law, which is found throughout the pages of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy towards the beginning of your Old Testament. 
And this law is summarized most succinctly in the Ten Commandments. Think Charlton Heston in 1956 says Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Uh, that is the, most, the clearest way to summarize this law. In fact, Paul even quotes from several of those commandments in verse 9. You shall not commit a dirt, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. And then any other commandments are summed up with this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this command to love your neighbor as yourself is interesting. It comes originally to us from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 where we read, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. As if there needed to be any other reason to obey, God puts that in there. I am the Lord. And this command to love your neighbor as yourself shows up several times in the New Testament. Just a few examples would be James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law, that is the law of the king, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then again, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And here is his response. This is outstanding. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so what we find clearly from Jesus' words is that a genuine love for God will be expressed in a genuine love for one another. This command is clear, I hope you see, but this command, friends, is hard. At least it is hard for me. Because the problem is we have to honestly admit that we love ourselves a whole lot and a whole lot more than we love our neighbor. Love of self is just natural. It's natural to who we are as those who are sinners from birth. And if you don't believe me, let me ask you this question on this Mother's Day. Did you have to ever teach or train your child how to be selfish and how to just demand what they want? I know my mom did not have to teach me. Self-love just comes naturally. And I was convicted of this a few times this past week. I just began to recognize how much I love myself more than my neighbor. For example, when I made blueberry muffins for my family, I'm kind of looking to get the biggest and the best. Rich Sylvester, our lead associate pastor, had a birthday last week, and he was so gracious to love neighbors and share cookies. And I started looking at the box going, which one looks best to me? I was convicted, and maybe where you park your car when you go to the store is an indication of how much you love your neighbor or yourself. And I parked in the the closest spot in Harris Teeter, just up the road, literally right in front of the store. And I thought, this is not loving my neighbor as myself. I'm going to move my car. And I had to wait because there were people walking and the shopping cart guy. And I thought, well, it's probably not going to love my shopping cart neighbor as myself if I run him over. So I'm going to wait. And he moved, and I moved, and sure enough, someone swooped right in and took that spot. But that's not natural to me. I want the closest spot. I want the nicest cookie, the best muffin. But we are called as followers of Jesus to place our own needs and desires second to those of others. 
We more easily care about our own interests more than the interests of others. We more regularly orient our schedules and our priorities rather than orienting ourselves and our lives around those of others. But God exhorts us to extend the same care, the same interest, and the same prioritization of others as we do towards ourselves. And because we're naturally sinful and selfish, this is impossible to accomplish apart from the grace of God and the work and enablement of his Holy Spirit. Now, to be clear, when Paul writes that loving a neighbor is fulfilling the law, and he writes that twice in those verses, what he is not saying is that our salvation is accomplished through our love for one another, or that we gain righteous standing before God by loving one another. No, Jesus Christ has accomplished all of that through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Rather, what Paul is writing here is that loving one another is the fullest expression or sum total of the law itself. That's why loving another fulfills the law. And when we have loved one another, and this could be any another in our lives, we are accomplishing what the law was originally set forth to do and its purpose, which is to provide an ethical framework for a flourishing community, a restored community, so that we might ultimately express the holiness of God himself. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his sacrifice and resurrection for us, should allow us and lead us to extend this love to those around us. And that includes, by the way, the people in our lives who are the hardest to love. You've got them. I've got them. You are them. I am them. Just FYI. And yet, love is to know no limits. We are even called to love those who are most difficult in our lives. And this love is so important to God. And he puts it in this and repeats this word five times in these short verses. Friends, ultimately, Jesus has modeled this most perfectly. And Jesus has actually fulfilled the law through his complete obedience to it leading him to ultimately become our sacrifice for our sins as the ultimate expression of love, of laying down his life for us. And he commands us to follow in his example as his disciples. So if the sum total of the law is found in Jesus and is modeled by Jesus, and he commands us to do the same of loving one another as we love ourselves, Maybe, just maybe, these are some questions that we should think to ourselves before we make decisions and when we make and interact with other people. By the way, these apply on social media as well. Ask ourselves, am I loving this person as Jesus has loved me? Am I extending the same grace towards this person as Jesus has extended towards me? Am I exercising patience with this person as Jesus has exercised patience with me? Am I responding to the gospel by making decisions and choices that benefit this person rather than wrong this person, knowing that Jesus has made the same choice to benefit me at great cost to himself on the cross because he loves me? We are commanded to love one another as Jesus has loved us because love fulfills the law. What else does this passage teach us? We are to live in light of Christ's return. What we find is that the return of Jesus Christ to earth one day in the future actually 
is intended to be one of the greatest motivations for us to live lives of holiness and distinction in this world. If we look at verses 11 and following, Paul writes, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, Paul is writing about that salvation being near, meaning the re- appearance and the return of Jesus Christ, to come and restore completely and establish his kingdom and his rule on earth once again. And we find that this is one of the primary beliefs of our Christian faith, that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but he is coming. And Paul really writes in such a way that tells us it could be any day now. It could be today. And we are to live our lives in such a way as if it is today. Interesting, Paul uses this waking and sleeping and night and day imagery to communicate the importance and imminence of the return of Christ. The word sleep is a very interesting one. It, by the way, is the opposite of readiness. See me on my neighbor's couch when they come home. But sleep is in Greek the word hypnos. That might be a familiar sounding word to you. Hypnosis, hypnotist, hypnotic. It makes me think about when I was in college, our university would bring in this hypnotist, and maybe some of you have seen him as well. His name is Tom DeLuca, and he is billed on his website as the top corporate and college hypnotist in the United States. And having seen his show firsthand, I'm thinking to myself, What I've seen, if anyone in a corporation acts the way that these people acted on stage, they would not be with that corporation very much longer. Uh, But what he does is he actually gets a group of people to fall asleep on stage. And then he gives them commands to do certain things. And it is wildly entertaining, but also highly disturbing. I I have to wrestle in my soul, as as funny as some of the stuff is, that there's something going on here that doesn't quite seem right. Because these people are behaving in ways that are unbecoming. They are unaware They are just unprepared. They are in a state. It's like they're sleepwalking. And the truth is, we can do that unintentionally with how we live our lives. And we can act in ways that are unbecoming because we are unawake and unaware and unprepared for the return of Jesus. But we are to live lives in such a way that reflect that we know Jesus. We live by a different ethic than the world tells us And we are to live in obedience to him. Paul continues to write in verse 12, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. The day referring to the return of Jesus Christ. Now we, um, he writes then, We are to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That word armor could be weapons. So notice the dichotomy between casting off works of darkness, putting on and taking up weapons or the armor of light. Spiritually speaking, we need armor our weapons because we are engaged in a very real spiritual battle. And this is a battle of God's truth and his ways and his ethic based in the gospel versus that of the world, which is very, very different. Interestingly, Paul lists out several um, works of darkness that we are to avoid as followers of Jesus Christ. He puts out several of these sinful activities to tell us these are not to be the way that we live as followers of Jesus. And they are, by the way, works that are completely opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself that he's just written about. 
happy Mother's Day as we get to read and, and look about uh, how he lists out orgies and drunkenness. Just so you know what he means by this, in the original context, orgy referred to a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper paraded through the streets with torches and music and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence use generally a feast and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. I know some of you say that sounds like college. But Paul is saying that orgies and drunkenness are not to be part of our life. He then pairs sexual immorality and sensuality. And friends, the Bible is clear. When Paul or any author writes about sexual immorality, they're referring to sex in the wrong context. That is, they're referring to any experience of the sexual relationship outside of the beautiful gift of marriage between one man and one woman that God has created for that gift to be enjoyed in. If you're not married and you are sexually active, that is sexual immorality. That is a work of darkness. And God says, if you know Jesus, repent. There is a better way. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 read, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Now, before we come close to concluding here, it's important to notice that Paul includes this list. And we can so often get our attention focused on the more wildly carnal sins listed in this list. But if you notice, not only does he mention orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, but what else does he mention? Quarreling and jealousy. So before we go too far, as a a friend said earlier this week, like, orgies never. Quarreling, often. (laughs) Let us recognize that we are all liable and can find ourselves on this list in some way. Quarreling and jealousy can come just as naturally to us as any of those sexual sins because we are fallen sinners. And just as sexual sin can divide a community, quarreling and jealousy can be so damaging and divisive to a community as well and disruptive to our spiritual lives and the relationships that we are to have in this restored community as we live as followers of Christ awaiting his return. Quarreling itself is the Greek word eris which I remember from my days as a freshman in high school, that that is the goddess of discord. Her brother is Ares, the god of war. Her son is Strife. And she is responsible for something known as the Trojan War. This is not the kind of spirit that God desires for his people to embrace. He desires for us not to be causing division, but to love our neighbor as ourselves and allow for the restored community of the church to be a place of healing and goodness and love. So how do we do this? Really, the final word for us is that we should be appropriately dressed for the occasion of Christ's return. How we do it is by putting on what is a term that is repeated twice here. Putting on the armor or the weapons of light and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This word putting on can refer to sinking into or clothing ourselves. We cannot defeat these works of darkness on our own strength. We cannot overcome temptation on our own. We need Jesus Christ and a deeper surrender to him to walk properly as we prepare for the return of Christ. One commentator, C.E.B. Cranfield, who you know he's smart because he wrote a commentary, and you know he's British because he goes by his initials, writes the following. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ means here to embrace again and again in faith and confidence, in grateful loyalty and obedience, him to whom we already belong. It means to follow him in the way of discipleship and to strive to let our lives be molded according to the pattern and humility of his earthly life. It means so trusting in him and relying wholly upon the status of righteousness before God, which is ours in him, that we cannot help but to live to please him. Friends, our identity, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, is so rooted in him that we are to rely and rest and surrender to him each and every day to find the grace and the courage to walk in a way that is proper rather than walk in the darkness. A few questions to ask ourselves as we conclude. How does the future return of Jesus impact my life in the present? Am I casting off works of darkness or embracing them in the hopes that no one finds out? Do I even know how to determine the works of darkness and what they even are? Am I responding to the gospel by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ through daily dependence upon him and surrender to him? My prayer and my hope is that we will be the restored community of the church that loves like Jesus and lives in light of the return of Jesus Christ. If you feel as if you are unprepared, much like me on the O'Brien's couch when they would come home hoping to find an awake teenager looking well after their son, just know that there is grace. There is grace. We have a God who is for us and loves us and calls us to follow him and his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.